0: Many of you will know from Dr. Martin Seligman that optimistic salespeople outperform pessimists by 57%. But did you know that according to a study by Marketing Donut, 92% of sales professionals give up after the fourth call, but 80% of prospects say no four times before they say yes? My name is Stephen Norton and you are very welcome to the Good Boss, Bad Boss podcast episode 22. Happy New Year and thank you for joining me again as we explore the world of work and leadership from a variety of different industries. This podcast seeks to entertain, educate and hopefully change some behaviour to make working life better for all. The listenership figures continue to grow so I will keep connecting with interesting guests and bringing their wisdom to you. It's that time of year again when many business owners are planning their year and focusing on how they can grow their business. Growing is selling, but so many of us just don't like selling. The thoughts of picking up the phone fills us with dread. If that sounds familiar for you, then this is the episode that you need to listen to. It is all about sales. My guest this month is Shawnee Myler. Shawnee has over 30 years experience in sales and has been there through the highs and lows of the boom and the bust. He's also a former inter-county footballer with Tyrone and this year he raised 29k for hospitals by running a marathon in his shed. As a qualified coach, he now spends his time teaching businesses and entrepreneurs about the art of selling. This was one of those episodes where I went off on a a little tangent and got distracted by the world of GAA. How very Joe Rogan of me. But I have edited that out. So what you won't hear us talking about is intercounty training, Dublin's domination of the championship, juvenile development and the difference between a good trainer and a good coach. I really enjoyed this conversation, and I guarantee you will get value from listening to Shawnee break down the sales process into manageable steps. There is gold in this conversation. Listen and enjoy. Shawnee Myler, you're very welcome to the Good Boss, Bad Boss podcast, and a Happy New Year to you.
1: Thank you very much, Stephen. Uh, Thanks very much for the invite, and Happy New Year to you also. So
0: we, we have a huge amount to talk about. I want to talk to you about... Uh, sales. I want to talk to you about marathons, I want to talk to you about history and politics, I want to talk to you about football. You can enter the Rose of Tralee with the kind of history that you have uh, and, and do quite well in it. But your main focus in your career is sales.
1: Yeah, yeah. I suppose I started, um, my first job uh, was, Well, um, suppose if I go way back to, you know, my father and my grandfather and my great-grandfather all worked for the Ulster Herald newspapers. And uh, I ended up getting the summer job right. uh, at the, in the desk. And I would have been taking orders over the phone from, uh, you know, maybe estate agents who were putting adverts in the paper. Uh, I would have been working at the desk, taking adverts, yeah. uh, mm-hmm. you know, people coming in and putting in uh, death notices, people coming in and uh, for sale items, uh, stuff like that. So probably the majority of it would have been 80% of it would have been reactive. People were coming in. And then maybe 20% of proactive where maybe you were doing a feature yeah. on a, a football team who had got to a final. So you you got a list of the businesses in the local area and you had to phone them up and see if they wanted to put an advert, sort of good luck to the, uh, the businesses. So you were, that's sort of something that happened there. You just done that job for sort of the three summers from were sort of 16, 17, 18. Probably didn't see it as sales, just seen it as a job. Yeah. yeah <laughs> you know, yeah. Uh, but it's, it was a lot to do with people. Really, uh, um, on being on the receiving end and being proactive, um,
0: and it was and a then, family business.
1: Well, no, it was it was we we're very lucky that my family just worked in it. It said it, it was a local newspaper, and my great great grandfather actually was born in Wexford. Surprisingly, that's where the mailers are from. You know, um, uh, the the only mailers in Northern Ireland were all connected. Mm. So we are so great grandfather came up. He left uh, Wexford and came up and, and took on the a lead role with the. the Northwest of Ireland Printing and Publishing. And then uh, my grandfather went in and he worked there for uh, 50 years. And then my father went in as a printer and he worked there for the, the what's it, 40 years. Yeah. <laughs> so yeah. it was very, very much uh, the family business.
0: And when you got that job when you were 16, uh, the the extended milers from Wexford working in a Northern Irish newspaper, you couldn't have been a shy 16-year-old making all those calls.
1: I suppose maybe you were reasonably confident because of you know your your granddad was in charge of the office and maybe you had your father there too in the business uh, although there was printers upstairs and the, the, the all the gears in the office they, they, they were very welcoming so you were you were quite comfortable because your environment was comfortable yeah. uh so that I think that that's the big thing that helps uh, your your environment if you if you're made feel sort of psychologically safe yeah yeah it's a it's a huge thing and uh so uh, i was very lucky with the the, the people that are around me
0: and so, like, do you think that actually young people today get a good crack of the whip with summer jobs, you know, or do they do they end up, you know, a lot of them work in hospitality, um, which hasn't been great for the last year, obviously, but in bars and restaurants and stuff like that. But you had a you had a decently proper summer job at that stage.
1: Yeah. Yeah. And as you say, it was a proper job because I was getting in at nine o'clock in the morning and uh, and I would have worked uh, to half five five days a week yeah. <laughs> uh, um, and when you think back it was a, it was just something that you'd done and then you had your week's holidays you know when we jumped in the car and, with a family and headed off to whatever Galway or Kerry so as you, yeah. it's, it's only now that you point that out that you did have it for the seven weeks of the summer for three summers in a row you had a, a decent uh, full-time job almost.
0: Yeah and we, after that then you yeah, after school uh, where did you go on to
1: yeah I went to Jordanstown so I did and uh, I suppose my to be honest I really wanted to be a PE teacher and go to St Mary's at the time St Mary's St Joseph's but I just didn't get the grades to go there there was right. at the time there was a big push for bringing in female into teaching you know a lot of primary schools and the, the numbers were quite low for males I didn't get enough grades so I suppose I just wanted to get away to be totally honest yeah. And uh, it was a case of right, where can I get to? So I couldn't get at the Queen. So Jordanstown. There was an opportunity against Georgetown. So and uh, there was a, a degree in history and politics. So I uh, off I went. You we know, left over went up to Belfast, and uh, and uh, the course was was history and politics. Like
0: uh, a young Northern Ireland lad studying history and politics. There's a lot of history in politics in Northern Ireland, and and it must have attracted all types of people to it as well. Did did you find it an interesting course?
1: Uh, to be honest, Stephen, I'll be totally honest. I mean, I suppose, you know, i I don't I played more football and I don't have been politics. <laughs> <laughs> and I'll cut to the chase. I mean, suppose that's maybe thirty five years ago, and yeah. Um, uh, No, I was very lucky that 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 when I arrived at Jordanstown for two years in a row, we had some supreme footballers landed at the one time, and uh, we went on to one. I was lucky; I won five all Ireland college medals, I won a freshers medal, I won two Ryan Cups, I won two Sigerson Cups, and I was twice selected for command universities. So we were just so lucky that. You, know, you have all Ireland medal winners like Dermot McNichol and, and Enda Gormley, you know, all stars yeah. and all irelands from Derry. You had DJ Keane and Barry Breen, the guys had won two all All-Irelands and all stars. And yeah. had Jared Houdahan from Armagh, and other all star. Just for those two years, we had a, a just a supreme quality of upers landed. And, um, you know, the, the degree you've you, you done, I mean, from the point of view of history of politics, you would have been studying American politics, maybe Russian politics, you'd have been studying just, uh, a range of different things to be honest it, it, it probably wasn't given this the focus maybe it should have been given but I uh it got, got I got through it yeah yeah <laughs> so it, uh...
0: this is where I suppose the football is where people will actually uh recognize your name you know people will go Shawnee Myler I know that I know that name from somewhere and that's because obviously you've uh, had great success at Inder county in Northern Ireland in particular you've got a couple of Ulster titles to your name yeah
1: yeah yeah well um yeah, it's very, very lucky to have to, to played for Troon from, you know, from 86 to 93. Um, and, uh, um unfortunate fortunate at the time that troll were pretty good. You know, I just I just missed out, actually. It was and the All-Aaron final in 86. I uh, I was on the summer. In the summer that year, I was with America. And then I actually made my debut the very, very first game after that All-Aaron final.
0: Right. Okay. And
1: uh, there was a huge crowd of troll people headed off to Longford. We were in okay. Division 2. And myself and Raymond Rowe made our debut, and uh, we actually lost. <laughs> so we did
0: against um, against Longford.
1: Yeah, yeah, Oof. we did. I remember that. I remember that game well. Uh, heading off to make your debut, but know, um, very fortunate that uh, to be part of the drone setup at the time with people like Eugene McKenna and uh, Damon O'Hagan and uh, John Lynch, all sort of all stars mm. uh, stuff like that. Uh, it was a good time, but then with the early nineties, wasn't as good now because we went three a phase years of we lost the first round four years in a row, and the football yeah. was finished in May. There was no back door, so there was a tran- there was a change. So sort of the, the the eighty team were finishing up, mm. and then the sort of new boys coming in. The Adrian Coyle and the Peter Canavan crew they were only sort of coming in. Yeah, the, the team that got to the final in ninety five. So uh, so it was my only regret, Stephen. As I. I I finished up and I got dropped in 94 uh, when new management came in and um, I uh, I missed out in All-Ireland in, in 95 and I also missed out obviously in 86.
0: <laughs> you were top, topped and tailed by All-Ireland.
1: <laughs> uh, exactly, you top topped and tail. but I suppose it's only my own fault because when I look back on it I probably didn't put a bit, enough effort in uh, to, to sort of the physical side of it. I, I would have been a runner and I would have been mobile and but and physically the the demands you know uh, I never worked enough at the uh, strength and conditioning back then to right. make yourself uh, physically uh, right for the, uh, the the game and uh, so but that's that's life you look back on it now and say you know you don't you shouldn't really have any regrets but uh, uh, suppose I should have put more effort into the whole physical training back then
0: did you find that it helped you in your career. Did it enrich your life? Oh, people would have known your name in the area. Where, where were you working at the time that you were you were playing?
1: Well, I started off with Deal Farm. Um, I um, I was lucky after university I got onto a junior management course, a government course, and um, uh, they got you into companies for six weeks for work. And I got into Guinness at the time, that I called the and I worked there at Guinness for six weeks. But they had no jobs. I then got moved over to Deal Farm, and uh, at the time they were selling. Findus Frozen Foods, Green Isle Pizzas, um, all their range of um, uh, ice creams. And you would have been calling on the old Wellworths and, and mm-hmm. all the spars and bases. So fortunately, after I finished with six weeks, they, they offered me a job. And uh, I worked there uh, for eight months. Um, I had my lovely wee white Ford Popular car <laughs> as a sales rep for them. But it's a, it's funny too, Stephen. It it's a wee bit different maybe in the, sou- in the south than it is in the north. You know, I'd have been driving, I'd been in some town and they were meant to football and you talk football, but I could have drove down to a town, you know, three miles down the road and you went in and they wouldn't even have known you from Adam because, True. you know, yeah. Northern Ireland is Northern Ireland and obviously with different communities and different towns, uh, um, it helped you in some places, you know, having a profile and uh, other places it didn't help you at all. You were just there to
0: do yeah. your job. Yeah. true I never thought of it that you know you, you wouldn't necessarily get the same welcome and a clap on the back in, in every shop that you go into
1: no no people to them it wasn't important you were just the guy from Deal Farm and to, and to do the order uh, and you you had to just you know change your mindset and just uh, deal with what was important for them mm. uh, at the time and you might have talked about something else whatever that was happening uh, but uh, you, obviously it wasn't a subject that would have been talked about so no because it, no. it wasn't of their, it wasn't in their interest so it wasn't
0: like w- when you win an ulster title actually does that come into it as well obviously everybody's on a m- mad high you know after winning a, a a provincial title and next thing you have to go and some people who just don't care that's it
1: that's it you <laughs> just wake up the next day and you go to work i mean i remember after winning that 89 ulster final you just i woke up i wasn't off work or nothing i was on the monday morning i was on i was in the car and i was driving up to, to cookstown to do my to do my calls i mean even the people who worked in the company, some of them wouldn't even know that he played football
0: to right. the place Yeah.
1: That was just the time, that was just it. Uh, and that was life, I really.
0: think. Yeah. And how, you know, how do you help Connor now in his intercounty career, you know, it is so different. There's a lot more coaching and support. Uh, required? Do you think it's it's benefited him that you've travelled that path before yourself?
1: Well, yeah, maybe maybe it is. Um, I try not to do a lot of tell. I suppose I'm very lucky that I've I've, I've I've worked as a coach, so I would probably ask him a lot of questions, and and um, he is he's got into goal setting mm. where he would set his own goals for his week, and he's got into his goal setting for his match. So he's he's adopted that there, and you're there really just as a scouting board. I suppose Stephen, yeah. uh, at the end of the day, so as I'm his father, I'm not his coach, your yeah. football coach. You no, know, he, you know, you have to sort of, you're, you're, it's like whenever underage football, when I took the underage teams in OMA here, Connor would have played on them. But I remember at under 16 level, Connor was at 15, was very small and skinny. And I actually didn't put him on the A team, and nice. I sent him on to the B team, and he played grade four football when he was 15. And because uh, I seen him playing ten games of football, sixty minutes at centre half forward for that B team, a six hundred minutes of football, good for his development. Meanwhile, the A team, we actually won the double, Right. <laughs> so we yeah. did. And uh, and I was in charge of that team, but I just felt the oh, again, It's about his development. He wasn't going to benefit from getting five minutes at the end of a an A game yeah. because he, he he wasn't ready. So uh his development really happened more at the, at the 18. He never made the throw minors here either. So it was more from that 18 to 21 where, where his development kicked in and where maybe other boys around that age had made other choices, mm-hmm. uh, uh, lifestyle choices. And uh, he made a different lifestyle choice and he was able to overtake quite a number of players.
0: It's it's a tough time at the moment for that age group, that 18 to 21 at the moment, because a lot of those pivotal developmental moments are are missing at the moment, You, you know, whether it be the college interaction, you know, the experience you had of, 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 playing football in college and enjoying that uh, regardless of the course. Whereas now there is only the course and you're stuck in your bedroom potentially and and that's all there is. There's no extracurricular. People go on about snowflakes and all that, but I, I don't think you can accuse them of being snowflakes at the moment. I mean, this is a really tough time for people who should be experiencing life to the full.
1: Yeah, I agree totally. And I sometimes think young people get a hard time. There's so many good young people there and they're doing lots of charity work, a lot of volunteer work know, helping a lot of things and, and there can be a focus on, on, on the negative. But I suppose that's a generational thing. We always look back, you know, from the, the generation before us probably thought that that, you know, we mm-hmm. weren't doing as much and, and we we sort of look back on that. But um I just think it's a really, really tough time, um, you know, mentally for them and you have we have to give a lot of support to them, uh, as as best as possible.
0: To go back to you to you, you were in Dale Farm and you were you were turning around winning uh, uh, provincial titles at the same time. But then you moved on from Dale Farm and you eventually did get that job in uh, Guinness in Diageo.
1: Yeah, yeah, yeah. It was very lucky then. Uh, a job came up and uh, applied for it and hadn't been in before. It, it made some contacts, which was good. So I got moving into Guinness. And uh, yeah, the Guinness were a great organization. Um, there was some really good training um, and sales training. And I suppose that was the learning because you may have a bit of, you might have a bit of profile, but ultimately, you know, you have to deliver. You know, your profile isn't gonna get you sales. Uh, so therefore, you need to understand that um, it's very important to understand a sales process, mm. you know, and understand about customer's needs. And they're not just gonna buy, you know, 50 cakes of Guinness and 10 Smilliks and 42 Harp just because you, you play football for Tyrone. You know, you, there has to be a benefit for them and you have to, you know, be, be professional at that level. So, but suppose Guinness were very much, uh, they had a poll strategy um, where, and, and after I finished with Guinness, I went to Imperial Tobacco, which is like um, John Player, and mm-hmm. and, Aber- mm-hmm. and they also had a poll strategy. And they, they focus a lot on damper, distribution, availability, merchandising, pricing, and advertising. So you had big brands, so you had, so the if you got your distribution right, if you launched a new brand, the key is to get it distributed in all the bars, so it is, yeah. or from, from Imperial Tobacco, get it distributed in all the shops. Okay, um, you had to be available. It had to be available on the wholesalers, all the wholesalers. Yeah, I know the, the the guys that that looked after the wholesalers had to make sure that the Master was be sold out at the weekend or whatever when he was out. To the wholesaler he was able to get it. Yeah, merchandising was key. It's key, obviously. You know, we and Guinness at the time would have been um, uh, making sure that our op- our optics. At the time we sold we sold um, Smirnoff and Gordon's Gin as well, and uh, our, our fonts, our Guinness fonts, stuff like that. We had make sure that your merchandising, uh, that your brands could be seen. There was a cooling mm-hmm. cabinet to make sure there was bottles of Harp Smirnoff in the cooling cabinet, stuff like that. Um, uh, p- uh, pricing obviously well, you, you. You wanted your if if, if we sold Harp. It was the same price as tenants, but you couldn't influence that. Uh, but And then advertising, you're making sure that the tables and uh, all that the wee, uh, uh, beer mats and stuff like that. So, and then basically the, the brand, because of the marketing and the advertising on TV and the sponsorship, uh, the sales were pulled through. Right, Sales were pulled through by the big brands. Uh, but your role was to make sure that you got distribution and availability and merchandise and pricing mm-hmm. correct. Uh, and uh, there's a process more uh, the, the money spent in advertising and the sponsorship and uh, people pulled it pulled it through
0: so you had no prior sales training before you really got to, to Guinness it was all you know official sales training should I say it was all on the job
1: yeah yeah it would have been on the job um, and then you were, you were got into a really good organisation at the Guinness um, uh, they had a structure they had a, they had a, a sales training uh, manager and uh, uh, he would have maybe spent time out in the road with you, mm. uh, and, and yet uh, on on the you know in field training, and and I still and Stephen to be honest now there's still lots of companies take on people, and there's, there's very little training been given to some of them in, in the sales side of things like um, I'm still I still can't believe that 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 happens but it is it is the case like.
0: People are hiring people for their uh, ability to talk in a lot of cases, and that, and that's pretty much it.
1: Yeah, yeah, they maybe have a profile and they've got a bit of knowledge, maybe product knowledge, and they're, they're, they, um, they're maybe outgoing, and uh, they have a personality. But that's, you know, really, the, really when you think back to, to sales, I, I suppose I fell into trap too. I used to think that the best salespeople were the talkers. As it turns out, it's all the other way around. You know, God has given us one month to two years, the best salespeople are listeners. So, yeah. um, and, and suppose I, I work off a sort of, I a see a, a, companies have a sales process and suppose the people that I would have learned from too, you would have, you'd learn to Brian Tracy, the American guru and Zig Ziglar, another American guru. And, um, so, uh, there is a process in sales.
0: Right. Okay.
1: Uh, it's, it's a seven step process and, uh, it depends on what your, 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 um, company is selling. How much time and effort you spend on each part of the process? Okay. So, like the first process would be prospecting. Okay, okay? that's
0: so uh, po- po- poking around and seeing who's uh, fresh for a bargain.
1: <laughs> yeah, you're prospecting. I mean, then you fish where the fisher. Yeah. So at the end of the day, like if, if, if there's no real need for a person to buy any of your stuff, then there's no real point in contacting. them. like, you know, the, the, yeah, you have to identify. You know, so people have to be prospecting, and they have to have a sales funnel. So they do. So um, uh, some companies are very reactive mm. where they already have business and people are coming to them. And this probably happened, even if you take the early, early 2000s where maybe even somebody like accountants or lawyers or estate agents, there was people yeah. coming to yeah. them, so there was. But after the crash, nobody was phoning them up.
0: <laughs> yeah.
1: So they had a change to become reactive and they had to start making phone calls. They had to go to network events and they had to sort of arrange coffees with people. And to some of them, that was very, very difficult. (laughs) But
0: but like, I mean, if you're an accountant or a lawyer, I mean, there's no sales module in the college courses for these things, is there?
1: Exactly. exactly. I
0: mean, it's not something that actually I can't even I, I deal a bit with colleges. I'm trying to think, is there any sales courses in colleges at all? Actually, I'm not too sure there is.
1: There's very, there's very, very little. I mean, we go to school, even if I take the two main selling, if I take the sort of the two main areas of, of, of sales to me is questioning and listening.
0: Questioning and listening.
1: Yeah. Yeah. And we go to school and we're taught how to read and write, but not how to question and listen. <laughs> so we're not.
0: Yeah. Yeah. In sales in particular, there's this sense that it's an art, <laughs> you know, it's kind of like the, the art of sales, but you're saying it's a process. So does that mean that anybody could learn the process?
1: Anybody could learn the process. And they could learn the skills within the process. They can. Because, to be honest, Stephen, everybody's a salesperson. Even though people say, oh, I'm not a salesperson, oh, don't, don't get me to do that selling, let somebody else do it. And if you get up in the morning and your son or daughter's having their breakfast, you know, you're saying to them, but eat up your breakfast. Yeah. But you're adding on a selling line. You know, because that means that if you eat up your breakfast, you have lots of energy and you'll be able to, you know, have do energy, uh, you'll be able to do well in school. Now, that's selling, basically.
0: <laughs> I, a lot of the time, my kids don't buy it. <laughs> 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 I must work on my breakfast selling. And I, I, okay, so I, I take that point, but, but there'll be a lot of people listening now and i oh, geez, I'd just be no good at sales, you know. What would you say to them?
1: There's maybe been a scar. And maybe when you look back on, we watch things on TV. I used to watch Dale Boy on TV. He would yeah. open up his coat and he'd have a load of um, dodgy watches. And he'd be known as a salesman. Yeah. So he would. And maybe Arthur Daly, he used to sell a car and you drive down the road and the exhaust would fall off. Yeah. And uh, I can even remember in my own house, whenever years ago, 30 or 40 years ago, the door was knocked and your mother would have said, oh, that's a salesman. So almost as love, they were sort of labelled. Yeah, that yeah. Uh, stay stay away from those people because what they're going to do is they're going to try and sell us something we don't want. Um, so no sales can get a bad name. Yeah, so it can. But really, truly it's sales is really just it's it's a it's a, you know, it's just a transfer of emotions, like
0: a transfer so of emotions. Explain that yeah. to me.
1: Yeah, well, really, like sales, it it's you know you're basically like we buy emotionally and justify logically. All sales are made on and and, and our right brain rather than our logical brain. If you tried to sell somebody logically, you are know, probably, you're, you're probably not purchase.
0: Okay. You know?
1: but, you know? because people, it,
0: people want to think they, they buy logically.
1: Yeah, they want to think. But really, <laughs> truly, we buy emotionally. We justify logically. You know, that man who gets his new car, okay, he didn't really need the car. He wanted the car. Yeah, you know? yeah. So he did. He, he could have stayed another year with the old car.
0: Yes. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. No uh, and seeds were planted. Yeah. A car in particular is connected to your to your vibe, to your personality, isn't it?
1: Well even clothes, even clothes. I mean if a male female comes back with a new suit or a new pair of shoes and stuff like that, they probably don't need those shoes. You know, they want the shoes. Yeah. They'll probably go without them for another month or
0: two. I'm so unfashionable that I usually do need the shoes. (laughs) Because <laughs> the old <laughs> ones are falling apart.
1: Uh, you have holes. Uphold, you in your shoes. <laughs> yeah, huh? yeah,
0: I usually do need the shoes. Okay. Yeah. So, so if if we're trying to connect emotionally to sell, then the best type of salesperson is going to be high emotional intelligence. Then,
1: yeah, yeah, high high emotional intelligence, because after the after the prospecting, right, and the whole thing about prospecting, bit reactive and proactive. um, you know, some businesses are getting business coming into them. And so what's happening now is mm. uh, people's phone isn't ringing, maybe. Yeah,
0: yeah. Well, especially yeah. at the moment, people have to be, you know, it's survival is, is the name yeah. of the game at the moment. And survival, so, you'll definitely have to sell.
1: Yeah. So after this year, you know, there's going to have to be obviously some prospect. And people who haven't been selling are going to have to start, you know, being more proactive. And maybe make a few more phone calls and arrange for or they've got a pipeline they'll work through their marketing with the marketing with it through through linkedin connecting and uh, through maybe facebook or through some other uh, form of, of instagram or whatever they'll be, they'll be trying to market uh, to get people to sort of come back to them
0: yeah i i actually something like it's something that probably bugs me a little bit on linkedin i get connections from people that i don't know and don't have a connection to i don't mind people who i can see where there's a connection that we're working in the same sphere or that we know the same people i kind of yep. don't mind getting a connection from people like that but you know these kind of blanket. i don't know this person at all and they're sending me uh, hey i thought it would be great that we could connect on linkedin and i'm like i guarantee it won't be great for me because it just means another polite no email that i have to send is you know is, is that also kind of going down the uh, delboy route? <laughs> uh, it's the it's the LinkedIn equivalent of being delboy is kind of like you know cold calling people or cold messaging people on LinkedIn
1: there is a there is that cold calling message thing and and the, th- the key the, the key in LinkedIn is not not to be selling yeah you know the whole idea is is, is can I add value to that other person can I uh, provide them with some information to help them and uh, and it's about it's about sharing. Yeah, information and, and writing a blog and, and and sharing all your stuff and maybe somebody might read it and maybe give you a call. But it, that's not to say there are going to be people going on there and uh, they're looking to sell their knowledge or they're they're going to get you more leads. Yeah, and they're going to make make you you know more visible.
0: Well, that's very attractive for people at the moment, isn't it? It's like somebody comes along and says, "Hey, I, c- I can get you loads of sales leads. Yeah. You don't you don't have to do the selling, but I, I kind of you know." I, I think that's bull because ultimately you're going to have to sell your own product. Surely, I mean, there's not going to be some other company. They might give you a list of names or something, but they're not—they're not ever going to sell it for you, are they?
1: Oh no, you—you you will have to sell it. Just, they may open some doors, so uh, for a fee right. uh, and provide you with some people who who need your product. But then you're going to have to do that selling because you're going to have to do the connecting. Yeah. So you are, and you're going to have to do the researching and the probing, and you're going to, have to do the presenting, and you're going to have to do the objection handling, and you're going to, have to do the closing. So you're going to have to follow that. the process.
0: Yeah. So the pro, you, you mentioned a couple of things there. I want to get into the, but before we get to that, like, so these lead generators are they useful? You know, somebody yeah. who says I can generate leads for you, is is yeah, that I'm useful sure, sure, too?
1: Yeah. yeah, Yeah. Yes, I'd say they are. Yeah. Um, it all depends on what you want to invest. Okay. Yeah. So there are, uh, if you are quite shy and quite introverted and you do not want to lift the phone and start phoning that there, if there's somebody who can do that for you for a fee and they can provide you with, you know, 20, 30 or 40 people that they have the connections that, that, that's, that, that connect across that they will need your product,
0: yeah. then,
1: uh, yeah, I suppose it's all down to, it. you see, do you see that as an investment or a cost?
0: Right. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. Now you talked. Then. Then you mentioned the process, and you 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 hit it off very quick. There. You kind of so, so, so uh, objective. Uh, and I missed it. And I was like, Hang on a second. What What was that process?
1: Well, so we talked about pro- uh, prospecting first. Well, after prospecting, really is planning. Yeah. It's about right. Uh, you know, uh, it's going through the customer and and studying the customer and studying their business and uh, um, and planning out. Uh, what, what your objective is, what your primary objective is and what your secondary right. objective is before you go to, to meet them. Uh, and, and learning a lot about their, maybe their industry. So you can have a conversation where you're seen as beneficial
0: um, okay.
1: to them. So do what are the potential objections as well uh, is a big, big thing. Um, so um, that's the, uh, you would do a lot of planning and I suppose a lot of people do don't do planning sales no you
0: know, no it's a bit haphazard it's kind of yeah, uh, opportunity as you say a bit more reactive you know if an opportunity comes along let's spear it but that's yeah. kind of what people tend to do but the strategic planning of it doesn't feature uh, for most people I would say
1: yeah for most people it doesn't they're mad keen to get in there but if you if some people are very good at the planning uh, and uh, what sort of questions they're going to ask, what sort of information they want to, to gather. Uh, yeah. And the likely objections that they're going to be thrown up to them so that they can be prepared for them. So, you know, I mean, I think there was a, Abraham Lincoln had a quote, like, if you had six hours to chop down a tree, spend four hours sharpening your axe. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and I think the same as legs, like, you know, in, in the seals, uh, you know, you know, you need to spend that time planning and preparing. You know, what is it you want to get out of this uh, how you, and and what maybe they might want and so what questions they might ask that you're you're able to answer. So uh, there needs to be more planning yeah. done. Mm-hmm. So there
0: does. So I mean, one of the things it sounds like you need to do is you need to pick holes in your own offering or your own product. You exactly. need to know them before they point them out, or else you look like that. Um, gob sheen on the dragon's den who hasn't realized <laughs> the really obvious thing and um, i love that show where they kind of go but can't i do this myself it's like oh yeah i suppose you can <laughs> or whatever it might be but it it is one of those things you need to know your product inside out and the bad the the, the the negative things about your product and what your product can't do and be honest about that i suppose
1: well suppose if i give you an analogy of say uh, a pilot right
0: mm-hmm.
1: you prepare for everything to go wrong
0: yeah, that's
1: okay. what you do if you're gonna sell. Prepare for everything to go wrong.
0: Okay,
1: right. Just like the pilot prepares for everything that potential maybe it might go wrong, so that you have covered off all the bases and all the areas. If they're gonna ask questions on certain value, if they're gonna ask questions on uh, warranty, if they're gonna ask questions on sort of justifying your price, if they're gonna ask questions on you know the delivery, if they're gonna ask questions on the makeup of the product and stuff like that. That, that you are well covered and that you have yeah. all those things covered. So um, so just just be like be like the pilot or the astronaut that you look at it from that point of view.
0: And, and then the other thing like so once you're in that place that you're you're making a pitch or you're uh, you know you're in the objection handling stage and you're you're looking to close, I see a lot of people get through the process where they they've generated the lead, they've made the contact, They've created a pitch or given a presentation, and it's the gap between that presentation and a closing, you know. And they, you know, they come out of meetings. go, God, I think that went really well. God, I'm really hopeful. And they're all bouncing around the place, kind of thinking, "Oh, this is brilliant." Next thing, they don't hear anything, and or and they and they follow up and go, "Oh no, I need to talk to procurement, and I need to talk to to the manager, and I need to talk to the director." And, and next thing, you get stuck in this kind of, uh, you know, it, it's it, like a bad relationship. Of how the hell do I get this closed? How can I get this contract done? You know, you know what what goes on in that gap between the pitch and the close.
1: Well, suppose I'm going. I'm going to take even further, but I'm going to take you further back to after are planning. After planning, the big thing is connecting. Okay, connecting, building rapport. Yeah, you know, sort of relation relationship based selling, where there's that connectivity. With the with the other person, uh, and it's it's that thing to do with trust. Yeah, you know, can you are, are you able to connect well with that person, and yeah. build up an element of trust with him, and and genuine trust mm. that you are there for his best interests. And uh, I suppose having similar interests, and you know, people will try to build up easy with maybe if, if people have similar interests and in maybe a sport or a, an interest in supporting a football team or or whatever. Then it could be easier, but that that area of building trust is a big, big, big thing uh, yeah. before you move. Before you can move on,
0: right? Yeah, build trust first. So yeah,
1: yeah, yeah. And um, I think when I look back on it too, like it's probably there was more emphasis on it maybe years ago. Nowadays, um, it's very, very important connecting, but people know so many people nowadays. Yeah. Um. That It used to be, some people were very, very good at openers, very good opening in sales, great connectors, but very poor closing.
0: I mean, if your company's big enough, you can you can have two people doing the different jobs, can't you? You can have one as the opener and one as the closer.
1: Yeah, well, I've seen that happening even in the car industry where you would, you're would you going to buy a car and somebody would meet you and greet you. and They're very bubbly, very outgoing personality uh, and they'll connect well with you, ask lots of those questions. And show you the demo and stuff like that. And then when you came to sell to buy, they send you upstairs, right? And he happens to be older and uh, more mature. And he wants to talk about the finance, yeah, and uh, and wants to talk about the the other details and maybe do a wee bit of upselling. So he does. So um, you're not getting any discount from the man upstairs.
0: Yeah, yeah, he's the, he's the guy that'll stick you to the price. <laughs>
1: Yeah, exactly. Well, you try to get discount from the person you connected with because you're sort of like, oh, but we have a friendship here. Oh, sure. Give me a give me a full tank of petrol and I'm sure give me 500 pound off. You'll try and get that from the person you connected with. But then you've moved upstairs to a different person. Yeah.
0: No relationship with that
1: person. Exactly. Ah, There's less of a relationship. There's less of the emotion brought into it. So
0: there is, and does does that work for for other businesses as well? Where you can have, maybe it's a good tactic to to build that relationship, to build that connection, you know, during the planning phase, and then after the pitch, say after the 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 presentation, become more formal about it and say now there's a process, and maybe that drives people over the line a little bit to to the closing stage.
1: I suppose I'm actually gonna I'm actually gonna bring you back again here to yeah. uh, to after after connecting. After connecting is very much probing.
0: Okay. What do you probing. mean by probing?
1: Question and listening.
0: Question and listening. Back to back to the, and listening.
1: <laughs> yeah. That's back. That's number four. Number four is back to, especially a, a form of research yeah. with the customer. Lots of questions and f- active listening. And you know the, the the key skills in coaching, open questions and active listening. And mm. I feel as though that's, whenever I am doing any selling skills workshops, that's the, that's the biggest one when people get from it.
0: Yeah. Yeah.
1: So it is those two skills becoming really, really good at asking open questions to find out custom it needs. And I mean going deeper and deeper and deeper. Starting off with an open question, following up with probing questions, then you're moving to clarifying questions and then you move into closed questions. But there's yeah. a funnel, there's a funnel there to, to get to know the person and peel back the layers and peel back the layers so that you can get down really, really down to their core needs. Yeah. For what's yeah. right for them. And some people are very, very good. At those those questions and listening to understand, not listening to reply.
0: That makes sense. So we're, we're we've we've prospected, prospect number one. We've planned, we've connected, Plenty number two. Connecting number three. Probing,
1: probing, number four. Well,
0: what do we answer then?
1: <laughs> number then, then we move into presenting. The floor is yours.
0: Oh, now I'm onto the pitch. Okay. <laughs> You're now onto the
1: pitch. Yeah, you've been waiting for this pitch. <laughs> yeah, yeah. yeah. So, That's typical
0: me. I'm rushing ahead all the time. Yeah. <laughs> Right, yeah. and so the pitch then. So the so actually, you've done a huge amount of work before you get onto the pitch then.
1: Exactly. Yeah, yeah you've done so, a huge amount of work. You see, because I remember years ago, whenever we were out selling, um, the the pitch would have went before asking questions. Yeah. You
0: never yeah. really
1: you never really asked enough questions to find out because you based, the company tells you here's a new product. You work for Guinness. You work for here's a product. Go you out and sell it. Yeah, so, that's what
0: I was going to say. I think most people get it arseways. Yeah. <laughs> I, th- I, th- I think people kind of, you know, oh, here's the pitch of what we can do. Now, tell us about you. And it's kind of uh, like... Exactly. <laughs> and, and, and the problem is they've, they've judged you. They, they've, they've made up a certain amount of their mind. Their, their logical or emotional side has kind of kicked in before you've even gotten to listen. And and therefore, a, they, you've closed them down a little by putting, if you put the pitch before the questions and the listening.
1: Yeah, because ultimately when you present, you only present what's interested to them. Yeah. What you find out to the question and listening. So your pitch will be quite engaging. Mm. So it will. So you might have five things, but you might only need to present two of them because yeah. there's no, absolutely no interest he has in the other three so there's no point in standing up there because he'll only he'll disengage.
0: Yeah, 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 absolutely. And is there anything that's really important? So you tailor your pitch to what you've heard for a start. Is there anything else that people, common mistakes that people make when they're pitching?
1: Well, probably some of the positive stuff is storytelling. Okay. And the areas we be great at storytelling. Uh, I mean, people like stories of maybe success stories that you've had with other clients who are similar to them. Yeah, and, and you can plant seeds. The whole idea is to plant seeds, and and that person that they're similar, and uh, and and tell stories about a previous customer who's quite similar to you, and they had some of the challenges to you, and uh, he was able to buy the product, and was able to to manage this and deal with this and deal with that or whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, so, um, pitching uh, that that pitching thing, and also it's back to the emotions too. It's really tapping and. You know, you're 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 planting emotional seeds. Yeah, and yeah. Uh, you're talking a lot about feelings
0: because you're so trying you to make that emotional sale.
1: Yeah, yeah. Because it's, it's it's, See, what happens is um, uh, emotions makes us move. Logic makes us think. Emotions makes us move.
0: Yeah, yeah.
1: Okay. People need to get that understand. Logic makes you think, but emotions make you move. Mm. So, and the, the analogy I use to say, for example, if you uh, if you were asked to go to your local um, car park on Saturday morning to run a five k, and and uh, basically they were t- they had a big list of all the benefits of running the five k. Mm. Right. How good. It's kind of you're going to meet a few new people, and it's going to be you the fresh air, and it's it's going to be good for you uh, uh, physically, stuff like that. Make it twenty people. Right. But a few actually then said, "Right, we're going to run a 5k at the very, very bottom. It's for we Julie from the town who has a who needs a five thousand pound raise for a heart operation." Yeah. You make two hundred people. Yeah. The the doing of the thing is exactly the same. Yes. The 5k yeah. and you start at the same place.
0: Yeah, that's that's a, a a really good point. The the it's only the emotion that has changed. The actual event or the action hasn't changed at all. So I'm, I'm going to press you now. Are we on to closing yet? Can I, can I get to the no. closing part? We're not on to closing yet.
1: <laughs> no, no, so you've done your presenting. So you have, after your presenting is your, um, objection handling.
0: Oh, obje- oh yes. Yeah. You mentioned that objection handling. Yeah. Okay.
1: So Crap. basically, uh, after presenting, he's going got to throw up some objections and there probably is a core set of objections to do with, you know, quality, uh, price, um, you know, warranty, except there's, there's a number of probably three or four of those. And, uh, um, it's up to you to handle those. So what you're going to be doing then, you're going to have to be strong at influence and persuading. Okay. That's where the skills of influence and persuading come in, you know. So you might have to use, uh, there's one that I would use and you would present is um, uh, the FFF,
0: FFF, which is
1: um, I understand how you feel. So you're dealing with their emotions. Yeah. Uh, others felt the same.
0: Okay, acknowledges this. Yeah. They're part okay. of the group.
1: People love to be part of a group. Okay. However, this is what they found when they bought the product. Okay. So you're moving them. You're dealing with their emotions. You're letting them know they're part of a group, so they're comfortable. Then you're shifting them over to however this is what they found. And then you're able to highlight the benefits. Right.
0: Okay.
1: Yeah. Previous one. Um, it's just a small, we um, obviously technique, but I'm sure there's lots of there's there's lots of elements from the point of view of, um, you know, price. When somebody said to you, you know, about the price, the first question you say is, is, "Is price your only objection?" So, so right away, if they say yes, then you know, right, well, if I get the price, sort of, I've got the sale. Yeah, yeah,
0: yeah.
1: Most people throw a price anyway. They'll just throw a price because it's just a natural thing. Yeah, yeah. yeah we love yeah. bargaining and a bit of them. So, therefore, you know, you even sometimes have to quantify the price. When you could sometimes say, compared to what?
0: Yes, yeah.
1: Because they don't have any, most people don't have anything to compare it to. But if you said you're too dear, you say compared to what? Yeah. You
0: actually don't have yeah. anything
1: to compare it with.
0: Jeez, that's, a, yeah, that's, that's some good, good stuff there. Okay, so you've, you've got, you've got your uh, objection handling step now. Are we on to closing yet?
1: Yes, yeah, you're <laughs> on the <to> closing now. <laughs>
0: and and what? so what are what are the what are the positive things we can do when we're trying to close a, a deal?
1: Well, first of all, you can ask for it. Right. I mean you'd be surprised the amount of people who don't ask for the sale. They've they've gone the whole way in the process, they've spent a lot of time, they have spent a lot of effort, and then there's a fear kicks in.
0: Okay. Yeah.
1: That this guy mightn't buy. <laughs> so, so there's some people don't ask when they're asked by their boss, or he Who "What have you got coming through this week? Uh, what about that man you were with last week? Oh I'm leaving him to next week. Oh, why are you leaving him to next week? You're scared that, that yes. he might say no. Um,
0: Very true. Yeah, I've, I, I have done that. I've actually not made a call because I'm afraid it'll be a no. <laughs> even though it's like schrodinger's cat it's neither a no nor a yes if i don't make the call but when uh-huh. i make the call I'll, well it'll definitely be a no or it'll definitely be a yes but yeah i found myself in that fear as well and how can we get over that how, how what, what do we need to do to 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 prevent ourselves getting into that little kind of loop uh
1: i suppose in, in closing the, the key thing is to have options okay you know, a really good thing is, is is to have options uh so um you see it um, Maybe somebody might say, you know, well, would you want the red car or the blue car?
0: Yeah, yeah.
1: Okay. And they're both sales.
0: Yes, yeah, yeah.
1: You know, would you want a full pallet or a half pallet? Yeah. You never, ever say to somebody, do you want it or not want it?
0: Yeah, because then that's the option.
1: Usually what you find, Stephen, is if you're not closing and there's issues of closing, where do you think you have to go?
0: If you're not closing and there's issues of closing, maybe you have to go back to connecting again. Exactly.
1: You either have to go back to maybe you're connecting. Maybe you haven't connected well enough to that person. They don't trust you enough maybe whenever you're asking your questions you know mm. you, you haven't asked enough information uh you're presenting you haven't really presented the benefits you right. maybe haven't uh overcome the objections that they've thrown up you think you've overcome them mm. but you haven't uh so usually you have to go back at the close because the close the close is will be easy if you've done all the other things right and they've followed the process and you've dealt with everything closing turns mm. out to be easy
0: do you think that sales has changed a lot in the last 30 years that you've been at the game
1: oh very much so especially because of the internet the nice, internet yeah. has led to huge changes To it has uh, especially from a buyer point of view yeah i mean buyers are now so much more knowledgeable yeah you can do so much research now uh when previously there you were relying on the person from the company to come in and actually have so much research and all that done to sort of inform you yeah yeah but now so many buyers would do they know so much themselves, <laughs> yeah. but maybe 50 or 70 percent of that already done themselves.
0: I suppose it used to be that if another salesperson from another company with a similar product came in, you were competing, but now you're competing every time because yeah. they will always check on the internet what else is out there, really. Yeah, uh, yeah, exactly. a big challenge, yeah.
1: And I suppose customers, I think customers too, you need to understand customers, and maybe people don't understand personalities. Than customers, mm. and uh, I suppose if you're like myself, where we're both involved in coaching. If you understand personality types, you know, yeah. you really need to understand the person who is that uh, yeah. direct dominant person. You need to adapt your style to suit him.
0: Yeah, yeah, you do.
1: Uh, and if you're selling to somebody who's extremely logical and wants a spreadsheet and wants numbers, then you give them the spreadsheet numbers. Yeah, and if you're selling to somebody who's very empathetic and they're very hesitant and they're personality- and they want you to hold their hand, then you hold their hand to the process. Yeah. And if you're selling to somebody who's very gregarious and very creative and outgoing or whatever, and they want to do a lot of talking, you might have to, you know, do that. So you need to understand the other person and what's important to them.
0: And the only way you can do that is through connection.
1: when you connect well, find out what's important to them. Yeah. You know, do they value, are they into, uh, maybe they're into value rather than price. There's an element yeah. of the, the value of the product. Uh, yeah. They might be into, um, they're huge into loyalty. You yeah. know, there may be, there, 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 the other company that's been loyal for 50 years and you can't break that down or they're loyal to you because of the loyalty. Um, they, there's, there's a driver, you need to understand their deep drivers underneath because you could come in and you could be a hundred pounds cheaper than somebody on a product that's a thousand pounds, but they still buy from another person. Yeah, yeah. Price is not driving
0: them. That's very true, it's very true. You've brought us through a great uh, process there and I'm sure it's only the tip of the iceberg as to what you could teach us. Do you think we're going to go through more tough times from the point of view of trade in particular and sales between um, the UK and Ireland and uh, that whole mess that's that's being created? Do you think it's going to be a tough time for selling uh, uh, across the border at the moment?
1: I'm not sure. I suppose it's a case of I think there'll always be opportunities. There'll, there'll always be people who will have the antenna up, looking out around for the the opportunities. And uh, from years back, whenever people were smuggling, yeah, <laughs> you yeah. know, yeah. I, I, across the board or whatever, there'll be there'll be some products that, that will be able to that will be you know coming in cheaper and whatever. So the people who have their head up and they're looking around for the opportunities. There will yeah. be opportunities there to be to be found. We we all need to be very reactive in sales at the moment because you might get a phone call now from somebody who you might never get a phone call from because they now have a need that they didn't have beforehand. With with their their consumers changing.
0: Speaking of opportunities, you you um, last April. Uh, on your on your birthday, you decided to do something. It, it it's not mad, but its impact was was pretty impressive. Um, your your wife is an intensive care nurse, and you had uh seen the the tough times they were going through and dealing with the uh, COVID patients and and the like. And you decided for your own birthday that you would run a marathon on a treadmill.
1: Yeah, yeah. No, thank you for thank you for that. Um, I suppose I I I, I am a runner now. I, I love running. And since I finished my football, yeah. you know, uh, I, I get a lot out of me running. It's it's great for my own mental health and well being, and with a good club here, so um, running's there. And um, I actually was reading about Cahill Freeman, the Mayo hurler, was doing okay. a marathon in his backyard, and it was the third of April. I was reading about that. Yeah, at like the back. And after reading that, I just looked. Uh, the kids were staying. me saying, I just looked over at the treadmill, and I says. In 10 days' time, I'm going to run a treadmill in that garage, and that shed. And um, I wasn't trained at the time because I had a previous injury. I'd only done 10 miles, it was the most. And surprisingly, in 10 days, you had it organised. And um, I think maybe five or 10 days after that, you'd raised £29,000.
0: Which so, is incredible for in your was, shed.
1: <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, it's,
0: uh, like this. It, this is. This, this, I mean, we we were pretty much still in a in a fairly restricted lockdown at you know at that stage, and you were able to raise twenty nine grand.
1: Yeah, very very lucky. Uh, people did, uh, just, just uh, very lucky that it grasped attention. So it did, and I suppose the focus was on the nurses. Paula actually is a she's a theatre nurse in OMA, and there was twenty of them were seconded up down a skill to okay. work because of COVID. Uh, and their their sister hospital and she was actually there. she lived up there during the week she if she'd done oh. day duty she would work live for three days on and then be home for three days and then she got to do night duty maybe three days night and the entries but they uh, there's a place up there for them so she uh, that's just her role as a nurse she'd done that and it was just for me doing something then for the nurses yeah um, uh, the, the, that we're doing and it was um, I'm just very fortunate that people got got round the story. So they yeah. did, and uh, supported it.
0: I'd have to ask what time you did it in.
1: I've done it in three fifty-five or something like that. Yeah. Like so,
0: and uh, you hadn't run more than ten miles in a while before that.
1: Yeah, exactly, exactly. But you just turned the, the you just turned the number down. You know, your mileage, you were dropping down. So you were on miles. But I was always going to do that, Stephen. Yeah, it, it was always going to be done, whether I had a walk or crawl or whatever, because I'd made a commitment, I made a promise. And I suppose maybe it's true to my values that when you make commitments, you make promises. It's amazing what the body can do. And the kids were great because it lots of uh, things, motivational uh, uh, posters and up on the wall and, and stuff like that and to drive you as yeah. well. So I was doing, I had a purpose I had a cause, so I had so that was that was really driving me having that purpose of cause
0: Well it, it's a great achievement Um, you know, any any day you're able to go into your back garden and raise 29 grand for charity is <laughs> a pretty good day so an impressive feat um, but running's in your blood isn't it? Your your dad was a good runner as well
1: yeah, yeah, my dad ran in the 60s, you know the early 60s when nobody was running and he actually I just won when I finished my football. There's four brothers in our house, and I was the one that just got the running jeans and uh, I picked them up. and I uh, I, uh, I really love it, and uh, I've been fortunate enough there recently to, to run for Northern Ireland in the Masters uh, over fifties. Mm-hmm. Uh, qualified twice to represent them in the British and Irish Masters against England, Scotland, and Wales. Wow. In the Republic, and uh, it's very fortunate to achieve my lifetime goal. Three years ago, in Dublin Marathon, 2017, I achieved my three-hour marathon with 2:59.28.
0: That's impressive.
1: It took me 17 years to do it. So it did. It was a lifetime goal, but I, I was very thankful to Gary O'Hanlon. I suppose as a coach, too. I mean, I work as a coach, and you, you, like yourself, and you know, it was only when I, it was only when I actually went for a coach, a running coach, that I achieved my goal because yeah. I thought to myself that. I, I know what to do and there's on the internet and there's loads of information and I've got my friends. It was only when I reached out to Gary. Gary, Gary gave me a specific plan to suit me at my age and to suit sort of my training the days that I can train. And uh, he tailored a plan to suit me. And uh, it was only, uh, I suppose it's a bit like people now at the moment, you know, with, with coaching. You know, some people won't take the step. Because mm. everyone thinks, well, "Well, I can do it." But whenever you've got a coach with you, as a as a confident person with you who will challenge you and support you and help you along your journey to help you achieve your goals at the start of a year, uh, I just think maybe to me, I think everybody should have a coach, as Tony Robbins said. You know, yeah, yeah. We all need we all need Sunday, so we do because you uh, you you can do anything, but you can't do everything.
0: Yeah, Jack Daly, another uh, great sales guru, he said he has five coaches. He said having, are. having one coach is a mugs game. He said you should have more, more than one.
1: Even the sales coaching thing is probably something that companies don't really look enough at because when you do the selling skills training and we've just talked through yeah. the process and all the skills needed, people, companies just stop there and say, right, we've done the training. They are now. But really and yeah. truly, it's, really it's it's like the 70-20-10. Yeah. You know, I mean, 10% comes from the training. comes to your peers and 70% comes out out when you're doing the job. And that's where you need your coach. And you really need that accountability and you need to bring back your learnings from being out in the day selling and the challenges you had and what you learned and what you're going to do different. Unless you have a sales coach or a sales manager who adapts a sales coaching style. Yeah. You know, people really don't grow. Yeah. So they don't. and, and that's where I think a lot of a lot of companies could could benefit, you know, mm-hmm. from having their people sales managers becoming more coach like. Yeah. You know, they're not yeah. going to become total sales coaches, but if they adopt a more coach like approach, yeah. they will get more out of their people, and they'll be seen as more helpful and supportive. Less on the numbers, and more on the development and growth. Yeah. Um, as they think less on the outcome, and more on the process.
0: Absolutely, absolutely. We've run out of time. Where can people g- find out more from you, Shawnee?
1: Uh, well, you can get me on my LinkedIn, so we can, uh, Shawnee Mayer on LinkedIn. Uh, my details are up there, so they are, and uh, happy to, to chat to anybody on anything we talked about today, Stephen, and really, really appreciate the opportunity for. You because I just I looked down and some of the people I listened to I listened to some of your um, previous ones yeah. you know just in the last day or two I was I was listening to Dora um, Casey and um, Ariel Farrell yeah and they were fantastic and some of the people you've had on Bobby Pry these people are fantastic so even for me to be to be talked about in the same uh, breath as as some of them like you know to be asked on. No, really, that's really great. You. Thank
0: you very much. Thank you. Shawnee, thanks a million for coming on the Good Boss, Bad Boss podcast.
1: Okay, thank you very much, Stephen.
0: Shawnee made some excellent points there about putting the questions before the pitch and really why the pitch isn't the most important thing. I'll be using the three Fs and the power of options in my next sales engagements for sure. If you want to get in contact with Shawnee, look him up on mylerperformance.com or connect with him on LinkedIn. He's a very genuine guy and I think he really has a lot to offer. Thank you for listening to our first episode of 2021 and remember all the previous episodes are available on my website stephennaughton.com or on whatever platform you are listening to right now. I love getting feedback about which episodes you've enjoyed so please do contact me and connect. You can find more from me on Instagram at goodbossbadbosspodcast. If you give me a follow and you share that would be really really nice. I promise I'll be back next month with another good boss, bad boss, guest. So until then, goodbye.